welcome, listeners. This is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me at Lawrence Hits in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm excited. I'm only going to mention one thing because I'm really excited about talking to my guests. So the one thing I'm going to mention is about another person who's been a guest on this show, Michael Deeker, who some people know as an actor at Theater Lawrence, some people know as a performer in a variety of things, including Ms. Amanda Loves Thirsty Thursdays at Jazz House. Michael has written and choreographed a play called Run the Musical. He composed the music. He is actually directing the play. He is also starring in the play, which has a theme of a fabulous superhero reminding us that we all get to be the heroes in our own lives. It's a beautiful story based on his experience. I can hardly wait to see it. I've heard songs, I've seen little clips of their practices. I may sneak in to see a rehearsal, but I'm definitely gonna be at Maselli's Saturday, July 29th, 7.30 p.m. for the premiere of Run the Musical by Michael Timothy Deeker. I'm so excited. I am looking forward to being there with friends and friends-to-be. I encourage you to check it out. And let me mention that one of the many roles that Michael Timothy Deeker has is he is an advocate for the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center here and based in Lawrence, Kansas. Some of you who've been around Lawrence a long time may recognize it by other names. It started out as the Rape Victim Support Service. It's had a variety of names related to rape victim support, survival, and then it became the Gadigi Safe Center, that name, and in more recent years, the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center, sometimes referred to as the Care Center. Anyway, Michael is an advocate there, and this premiere of Run, with ticket cost of $15 a person, is a benefit for the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center, long name. So go, be fun. I love that that I have friends coming in from Kansas City. Jeanette Powers, who's a poet in Kansas City, and Nejno Martin, also a poet, both poets and performance artists. They're coming to go with me and my husband. And Jeanette said, I have it on my calendar as run play with me. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, so come join us. We are gonna have a blast at this wonderful performance. Saturday, July 29th, 7.30 p.m. at Maselli's. You can find Run the Musical on Facebook. You can find the event page. Go. Great performances are going to be happening. It is truly going to be fabulous. Costuming, dancing, singing, all kinds of things and inspiration, which totally fits with the show that I'm doing today. So I love that. So my guest today, I got introduced to thanks to my monthly guest, good friend, and as I call her, the transformational Jenny Westford. Um, Jenny said, hey, my friend has this new book. And I said, ooh, let's get her on air. And that's what's happening. So welcome, Jennifer Johnson. <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank I you, love Marcia. things that are that whole message of let's help people have better lives, you know? A lot of times when I talk about my mental health work, sometimes I say the words people expect, which is I work in suicide prevention. But mostly what I say is, you know, my, my role is to help people have lives worth living. That's what it's really about. And that's what your book is about. That's the intention of my book, certainly, yeah. Marcia. Yes. And thanks for having me on today. I'm, I'm really excited yeah. to be here. Yeah. yeah, and I have to 
share this um, mantra that I had to repeat to myself as I drove here this morning. Um, I felt excited and I also felt a bit fearful because I never know what's going to be asked or where I uh-huh. should read in the book or, you know, all the unknowns. Uh-huh. And then I reminded myself that fear is just excitement without the breath. All right. So if I remembered to breathe, which I reminded myself to do, I just got excited. <laughs> so here I am, excited I and ready that. to go. So thank you for having me. Glad to be there. You know, and, and as you say that thing about feeling fearful, you know, one of the things I say to people is embrace whatever emotion and do what you want to do. You know, yes, we don't have to do wait it. till we no longer feel that thing. We don't have to let that be a barricade, you know? No, we'd still be at home and yeah. doing nothing. <laughs> and that's so boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So tell us a little bit about you. I always okay. start the show with my guests giving yes. a little bit of background information. Yes. So uh, my name is Jennifer Johnson. I um, grew up in a family with uh, four siblings. I was the second oldest. I was a middle child. My father was in the Navy, jet pilot in the Navy. So we moved coast to coast every two years. Oh, wow. So as a child, I found myself in a new school in a new neighborhood every two years, which I like to think made me very adaptable. Mm-hmm. Um Then as I I grew and learned and it was time to figure out what I wanted to do for a living, I knew I didn't want to be a secretary. And given my age, that was an option or getting married was an option. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want either of those at that time. So I started going to college and I was taking classes and taking classes and I was not declaring the major. And finally, the university said, you have to declare a major, you have to move on. (laughs) So I said, okay. So a friend of mine, I was in Wichita, and a friend of mine who was at KU and majoring in art called me and said, you know, Jen, I took a class at Wichita State a couple years ago, and it was in speech pathology, and you might really like it. And so one summer, I enrolled for a speech pathology 101 intro class, and a man named Dr. Ken Burke taught that class. And I fell in love with him in the way, <laughs> yes, in the way that I wanted to be him. Uh-huh. Um, I watched him in the clinic with little ones. I watched him in the clinic with young adults. I watched him in the clinic talking to parents. When I would go into his office to visit with him, his desk was always clear. He always had chairs positioned, so there was no desk between us. He just oozed, let me support you. Uh-huh. Just let me support you. So I really thought that this is what I got to do. I've got to be like this guy. Uh-huh. So I enrolled in speech pathology, got my master's degree. Uh-huh. And I, I've always had a need, and I was taught by my mother, that those of us that are given things in life, then we want to give those back. Uh-huh. And she always did a lot of volunteer work when she was raising us. So I thought this would be great. It's something I can help people with. And I love language. You know, when I was one of those weird kids that loved diagramming sentences and that took <laughs> Latin and just ate up diagramming sentences. <laughs> so, um, so it was a natural fit for me. And then after that, I worked in a variety of uh, places. I've worked public schools. I worked in private schools serving children with severe disabilities that manifested as autism and not being nonverbal. And so we'd have 17-year-old boys who no longer wanted to do an activity you had presented to them. And since they didn't have the language to tell you how bored they were, they would just flip the table over mm-hmm. or grab you and hurt you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so our job was to figure out ways to give them to communicate, you know, mm-hmm. picture systems, uh, hand s- signals. Um, so it was very inspiring and um I saw a lot of intelligence with all these people. I, I really, 
I, I think there's a lot of intelligence. We just don't know how to get to it. We don't know how to communicate with it sometimes because they're so different than us. They appear so different. So I loved, I loved working with kids at that level. So uh, private schools, public schools, I worked in hospitals. I had a private practice for 10 years and I mostly served uh, children in the practice. Mm -hmm. And I started as a sole practitioner and then I took in a partner and then we took in a physical occupational therapist and also learning disability specialist. So we worked with children with sensory integration issues and, and mild learning disabilities. So that was a lot of fun. And then I was ready to not do clinical work anymore. I felt like it was time to move on. So I, I took a job in management at a not-for-profit school. Um, then over the years, I worked different places, mostly then in management, until um, I ended up working for a company named Key Rehab. Um, Key Rehab is officed in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and they provide physical, occupational, and speech therapy to nursing homes and continuous care retirement communities in seven Midwestern states at the time I was working for them. So I started as a speech pathologist working in nursing homes, and I had worked in nursing homes before clinically, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed recognizing this is where people call home, um, you know, trying to work through some of the negativity that surrounds that whole concept, because for many people, that's a very good place for them. So I enjoyed that. And then as I worked as a speech pathologist, I was promoted to a management position as a regional supervisor because I had had my own practice for 10 years and I had managed other places. Then from there, I was promoted into a vice president position. And then I attempted to retire and the owner of the company didn't want me to go away, which was very <laughs> nice. It was, I mean, it was just so nice. So she said, Jennifer, you, you tell me what you want to do. I just you tell me what you want to do. And I thought, oh my gosh, someone's asking me to write my own job description. How can I not do that? Uh -huh. So I told her, I said, you know, I was promoted at my time with you so far through the different levels. And, and I had experience, you know, I knew how to manage budget, budgets. I knew about customer service. I knew how to manage staff. I had had staff before that I'd managed, but we're promoting young, very capable therapists, physical, occupational, and speech therapists most of them young women, we're promoting them and they have no background in any of that. They've only been therapists. Uh -huh. So I want to create curriculum to train them in leadership and management. And she loved the idea and I was so excited. About it. Uh -huh. So um, I did that for four years. I telecommuted. So I was at home doing training online. And then many times I would travel to the different states because I love looking at people and being with people. Uh -huh. So I couldn't just stay in my office. Um, so I trained people in all the variety of management and leadership, but my favorite piece of my curriculum was training people to recognize the seed of a leader and manager in another person. Mm -hmm. So you've got a management position, you have staff that you're working with, and how, how do you recognize that seed? And not everyone has it, right. but many of us do. And if I, what I thought was if we can recognize it and go ahead and begin to nurture that seed then when we're ready for that next promotion, we will have spent some time nurturing that in this person uh -huh. and it won't be also brand new to them. Uh -huh. So I, I came up with a gardening analogy of how you recognize that seed, what behaviors and, and oh, attitudes you see in people that indicate that that's what they've got in, uh -huh. in them. And what, what does the soil look like you put them in? How do you water them light? I use that as an analogy uh -huh. to talk about growing up leader and manager. 
And I love that part of my curriculum. I just, I, I think because of the analogy and the language involved in uh-huh. that, I really enjoy teaching it. And so then finally, four years after that, I finally did retire. Uh-huh. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write this book about growing leaders and managers because I love teaching that. And then I swear to goodness, the day after I retired, I could care less about growing leaders and managers anymore. I just didn't, it didn't turn me on. um, And I wasn't working in that world anymore. And Uh I really think you've got to write about something you know about. Uh But I loved that analogy. So I thought, hmm. And I was feeling compelled to write. So I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I've always been involved in my own personal and spiritual development. Uh I have, since I was in my early 20s, I have read a bazillion books and you know, been to a bazillion groups to talk about personal and spiritual development, um, you know, explored different religions, explored many different faiths within the Christian religion by attending a variety of churches. Um, so I thought that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write about growing your best life, growing my best life. How, how do we go through this physical existence and keep ourselves lifted up. Mm-hmm. So I explored what is the seed of your source. For me, that that is, it's hard to know what word to use, Marcia, because some of these words have triggers for people. Yeah. The word God has a lot of triggers, unfortunately, uh-huh. for people because some religions have painted God to be something I don't believe that that energy is. Um, I, I bought into it when I was a child and my mother took me to church and they told me God is love. I bought it. Mm-hmm. I bought it and I have lived from that. And I believe that. Mm-hmm. So how do you recognize that seed of God or source or spirit or higher self, or even for those that don't have that more religious sense? I've even thought of, you know, the way Eckhart Tolle or Eckhart Tolle, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce this last name. He describes it, and this might not be the exact terms he uses, Marcia, but he describes that part of ourself as the witness, that calm, constant, clear-minded part of ourselves that can witness. Like today, I could witness my excitement and my possible fear, and that witness helped me know what to do. The witness helped remind me to breathe. Mm -hmm. So how do we recognize that within ourselves? What does the soil look like that we planted in? So I took this analogy and, and used it that way. It's very interesting, and, and I will admit that part of what I'm listening to and listening for is just yesterday, my, the guest I recorded with, um, Dr. Z. Hall, she was talking about an exhibit that she's curating at the Kansas City, Kansas Public Library that is the cycle of growing and microbes and and healthy microbes, and and for her in, in her own life, that means she grows vegetables organically. She preserves and eats that food. The waste goes into compost, which comes back around to be that soil that nourishes those seeds. Oh, that's you know? love. Yeah. Oh. So so maybe that's volume two of growing your best <laughs> life is that the way that works together. <laughs> that, that could be volume two. Actually, and it's interesting. This is the first book I've ever written. And so many people are asking me, well, number one, they've asked me the question that I've addressed here, which is where did this idea even come from, uh-huh. Jen? Jen, I didn't even know you were writing a book. Uh-huh. Um, so I've addressed that. But the other question is, 
what what do you plan to write next? Uh-huh. And I think people give me give me a rest. I uh-huh. just finished this. Uh-huh. However, I was out weeding the other day, uh-huh. and weeding is a chapter in the book. Each chapter in the book has five exercises, and I know from my own growing experience. I can read a bazillion books. I can go to a bazillion groups. I can listen to people on YouTube. But unless I practice, unless right. I take the information, right. apply it to something very specific in my life, nothing changes. There's right. no shifting. There's no transformation. There's no happy. Right. <laughs> there's just drudgery. So there's five uh, exercises in each at the end of each chapter. So as I was reading the other day, the... the um, the concept of the weeding chapter is it, it kind of starts with the idea of look at the people, activities and things you involve yourself in every day. And are they serving you mm-hmm. or are they sucking the life out of you? And so it starts there. Let's weed out those things that no longer serve us. But it really gets down to our thoughts and feelings about those things, and mm-hmm. particularly with people, the people that no longer serve us, how we're thinking and feeling mm-hmm. about them. And my experience has been if I have someone that I feel like is, you know, for lack of a better phrase, no longer serving me, no longer serving my highest good, how do I weed them out? And that mm-hmm. just sounds terrible and mean. But so my focus is more pay attention to the thoughts I'm having about them and weed out those ugly thoughts. Just just begin to have more compassionate thoughts. And by doing that, what I found is sometimes those people just disappear in my life. You know, people come and go in my life and sometimes those people just wander off. Sometimes they transition and they're just way more fun to be with. <laughs> they have more enlightening, uplifted conversations to be had. Um, so I was out weeding and I was remembering that part of the book. And I thought, you know, I might just do a, another book called Meditations for the Gardener, where I take the concept for each chapter and encourage, you know, if you're out planting, just to have a nice meditation while you're doing that and think about whatever the concept is Mm -hmm. and use that concept as you actually have your hands in the dirt. Mm -hmm. Um, So I may do that. I'm I'm also thinking I'd love to. So let let me back up. When I was conceiving of this book, I asked a dear friend who's an artist to illustrate it for Mm me. And this dear friend who's an artist has multiple creative talents. She's a graphic artist, a calligrapher. She makes quilts. She sews. She gardens. She cans her own food. She's just, I call her a creative force. She's always up to, and she designs her own patterns for the clothing she sews. So I asked her if she would illustrate the book. And she said, well, Jen, I'm not an illustrator. I said, come on. Are you kidding me? You can illustrate. I mean, look at all the things you do. And I said, I'm not a writer, but I'm I'm saying I'm writing a book. So join me in this endeavor, right? Uh-huh. So she agreed to. And it was fabulous for me because she was struggling with all those negative thoughts that come up about, I'm not an illustrator. What do I think I'm doing? I can't do this. And I'm struggling with all those thoughts. You're not a writer, Jen. What makes you think you can do this? What are you even bothering doing this for? You're you're retired. You should be goofing off. So we shared that and it was real uplifted. It helped me stay uplifted. It Uh helped me stay working. Uh So I had envisioned a spiral bound book with these beautiful illustrations. And after each of the exercises, there was to be this big place for people to write. Because Uh for me, you've got to take pen to paper or something. Maybe it's, you know, brush to canvas, some way to express what you're experiencing. 
So that was my vision of the book. And I, I envisioned it being printed on handmade paper. So I envisioned a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh-huh. And I, I, I'm going to segue here and hopefully I remember what I'm talking about so I can come back to it. But Pam Grout, who also lives here in Lawrence uh-huh. and is an author, I would meet with her occasionally in the beginning to just get her advice. And when I told her this, she said, oh, Jen, that's a great. Oh, she said, oh, Jen, so you want to bring something beautiful into the world. Uh-huh. I think that's a great idea. So that was like, oh, great. Goody, goody. So everyone was very supportive. And then when I start talking to my artist friend about this concept of how this book will come into print, she she listened and smiled at me. And then finally she said, Jen, I was like, yeah have you thought about the cost of that? I said, well, no, I, I have not. She said, well, that will be very, very expensive to print because <laughs> you've got the handmade paper, which requires a hand press, which, you know, we have right downtown here in Lawrence. So I said, oh, like how much? And she told me, and I said, okay, then I've got to shift a bit. That's not real uh-huh. doable at this point in my life. So we'll just make it into a, a, a usual book. But she helped me make it beautiful. And Daryl Bugner, who is a designer here in town, she has a company called Design Brilliance. She took my friend's hand-drawn illustration and designed the front cover for me. And I'm so happy. I'm just so, so happy with it. And then there are line drawings Uh for each chapter. I, I, I wanted the book to feel friendly and a bit whimsical. Um, People can take life so seriously sometimes that I just wanted to make it as light and accessible as possible. Mm -hmm. And now I have no idea what question you asked me, Marsha. I don't know. Right. I think part of it was stimulated I'm by so possibly another book. Oh, yes. To that whole yes. Cycle. Thank yeah. you so much. So thank you. Keep me on track. Um, so another thought is to put together a workbook mm-hmm. to do a spiral bound book that is not, hand, you know, hand pressed on right. handmade paper, but a simple, nice paper that people can write on uh-huh. and go ahead and address the concept in each chapter uh-huh. and then just have room for people to write out the exercises. Cause uh-huh. I, I just can't encourage that enough. I just think that's important. So I'm not, I'm not sure which will be next. I'm, uh-huh. I'm, you know, posting on social media and I may start doing some email lists and put, and putting things up there. I just want to see what's resonating with people, uh-huh. what's helpful. And, and fortunately for me, I still am in touch with a lot of the young women that I supervised and mentored while I was key, with Key Rehab. Many of them have read the book mm-hmm. and they've given me fabulous specific feedback on, oh, Jen, I loved this paragraph or this is so helpful to me every day for this reason. So I'm getting really great feedback mm-hmm. from them and I'm so appreciative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So you had no idea when you left Key Rehab that this was going to be a next step. Yeah. No, I had no idea. And my husband reports to me that the first two weeks I was retired, I was a blur. I was dashing to and fro uh-huh. because I was doing all the things I never had time to do when I was working. Uh-huh. And I think somewhere because I was so for all the years that I worked locked into that two week of vacation mode, uh-huh. I was just, I don't know, just subconsciously thinking I had to fit in all this stuff. Uh-huh. And then after two weeks, I kind of went, wow, I can just keep, I can just keep doing this for another week and then another week and then another week. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so the, I have found retirement to be a wonderful place to slow down. Uh-huh. I still like to be very engaged in things. I have a 
very active mind that craves information. I'm very curious. However, now I can do things at a much more leisurely pace. Uh-huh. And when I was inspired to write this book, I said to the universe, okay, universe, I'm in. And it's got to unfold organically and it's got to be fun or I'm out. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And it has. And so uh-huh. if I felt pressured or I got myself all balled up around it, I just stepped back. Uh-huh. I let some days go by. I got myself back in the place I wanted to be in a peaceful place. I, I wouldn't want to write from a hairy place. Um, because, you know, in when you, you write, when you read books about writing, the um, mantra is show up, show up every day and write. And I just didn't do that. There were just some days I, I, I just didn't feel it and I didn't. But I, I did find out that when I was ready to write again, I had to have at least three days where I knew I would have at least two hours each day to write. Mm-hmm. And the stream of days together seemed more important to me than having to do it every day. Mm-hmm. Now, because I've written this, I tend to write every day because I enjoy it so much. And I'm, I'm playing around with learning to write poetry or not even learning to write it, just writing it. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a really good exercise for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you a person who had been writing in your personal life, or were you somebody who journaled those kinds of things? I've, I've, I've always, I say, I've always journaled. Uh-huh. I've always journaled for as long as I can remember. Now I'm not one of those kids that started writing at nine, uh-huh. but in my probably, not even in high school, probably in my early twenties, and probably when I started to explore my own spirituality, I always journaled, and I had a lot of struggles in those years. You know. The 20s and early 30s were lots of changes for me, lots of trying to figure out who the heck I was and what I wanted and, and you know, learning self-love and all those things that are so critical. And so I journaled a lot. Mm-hmm. And I have friends who have, you know, shelves in their garage full of their journals and boxes of journals. I move them along. You know, I, I discard my journals every couple of years. What do you do with them? I shred them. Because for me, it's old news. It's not who I am anymore. Okay. Doing the writing helped me evolve. But it's I, I like to keep space clear mm-hmm. for new to come in. So for me, it's kind of a it's a it's a ritual act that, that that's that's old news. And it and I and I love you know I thank the journals. I thank the part of me that was able to write all that down. So I have a little ceremony around it, and then I put them in the shred box, and that's the end of that. <laughs> Very interesting. Yes, I'm. I'm a. I like. I like open space, and I like things to be cleared out. Uh-huh. And people are shocked. Uh-huh. And I do have to admit, there's also a terrible fear involved. So I'm sure you and many of these listeners have been to estate sales. Uh-huh. And my husband and I have no children, Marcia. So when we die, who knows what will happen? You right. know, we've written our will. We've said what we want to have happen. But I don't know what's going to happen, right. and it's out of my control. But what I do not want is for my journals to be laid out out on our front lawn for uh-huh. people to be looking at. Those were very personal. Uh-huh. You know, I think of, I've been to estate sales where they have women's old tubes of lipsticks out there, and that just makes me sad. So, so it's that's part of it too. Those I wrote for myself. I didn't write for other people. Uh-huh. Um, so I I I don't want people looking at them. I don't want them even available for people to look at. <laughs> And not that there's anything wicked in them. Uh-huh. It's just personal. It is personal. Yeah. yeah. And it, and as you're saying, you did those for yourself. 
he didn't write these for public consumption. It's an, an interesting concept, though. So, so I'm thinking about what you said about weeding and what you're saying about your journal writing and shredding it. And when you were talking about people in your life, you talked about making that shift to compassionate thinking. And, and a thing that comes to my mind is a line that I think it actually came from a movie that I think what it's called, there's some peaceful warrior, something like that, or that writer. And, and basically the, the phrase is, those who are hardest to love need it the most, you know, which, which is really what you're talking about to me when you say make that shift to compassion for those people who seem to create some kind of pain in your life. I'll just use that word. So you, you, you don't try to, to weed them out, but your own written history, you, you keep it inside after you've had it on the page. So it's, it's oh, that's it, yeah. That, I, I appreciate that reflection, Marcia. Yes, yes. And I have pretty. Um, I think I have good boundaries, and so for me, that's just another one of my boundaries. For me, some things are just personal. Mm -hmm. Some things are meant only for myself, mm -hmm. um, and many things I share with others, mm -hmm. but not that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's very interesting. I, 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 as you talked about being able to sort of have some limits about what people experience after you and your husband have died and your stuff. I think about how when my mother-in-law died um, a little over a year ago, we had this experience of, even though she had been calling through her things, there were things that she had saved. And she was of a, uh, I don't know if it was her generation or her generation and her personal traits, but she was a documenter. Uh -huh. And so it was actually quite fascinating to see these scrapbooks of things from her little Potter, Kansas community where she grew up, you know, and, and all these different things. And, and it was a hard thing to actually say that some of this we do have to just let go of and some we, we will cherish and some we will cherish, as I imagine with your journals, read, but then we still will have to get rid of some of these can't keep the volume of everything in every person's life. Right, Marcia. And, and a documenter for me is different because she's probably documented her family's history and... Some of them. There were a lot of her, just, just her, her personal stuff. Too. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Oh, that's, and, and that yeah. would be... It would be yeah. lovely to be able to read those yeah. when someone you love has died. Yeah. Yes, you know, I didn't think about that. Well, thanks a lot now. i got to <laughs> rethink this, Marcia. <laughs> and so perhaps one of your writings... <laughs> will be at some point in memoir, who knows? Yes, and, and as I continue to write poetry, you know, a book of poetry, that, that says so much yes. about a person, I yeah. think. And this yeah. book I've written says so much about yeah. me. So, yeah. And my own mother-in-law is a documenter. My husband's the oldest of nine. Uh -huh. So lots and lots of photo albums. And she's super organized, so she's got each oh, of them cool. dated. And she also wrote um, a diary. And right now she's not able to do any of those things anymore, but... Her diaries were the five-year diaries where each little page had room for three days. Oh. And she always wrote pretty much what was going on with the family that day. It wasn't personal, at, uh -huh. in my mind, at all. Uh -huh. But it was a wonderful reflection of, 
you know, raising nine kids and all the things that were going on and what was on her mind that day. That's interesting too. That's when you only have five lines to write yeah. on, you've got to decide what you're going to put there. Yeah. And so um, those are still all around. I don't know what will happen when she's gone. Um, haven't thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, let's take a little break. Okay. And then we want to talk more about your, your book, the title of how people get it, that good stuff. So listeners stay tuned. We're going to take a break and hear from a few of the sponsors of LawrenceHits.com. And I thank Daniel Smith who produces the show because I love the conversations. I love them even more because other people get to hear them. <laughs> so thank you, Daniel. And we'll be right back for more talk with me, with my guest today, Jennifer Johnson. Welcome back. This is Marcia Epstein with talk with me and my guest, Jennifer Johnson and we're kind of talking about growing in a garden sense and in a personal sense because your book is really about the personal sense. That's right, Marsha. So tell people about this book. Like, how would they get it? Okay. How, how, how do they get to work with it? Yes. So um, you can get it online in ebook format, in hardcover or softcover at Amazon, at Barnes and Noble, and at Balboa Press. So I self-published using Balboa Press, and Balboa Press is a self-publishing house and is an affiliate of Hay House. Oh, cool. Louise Hay. So apparently you're familiar with yeah. Louise and Hay House. Yeah, so Louise Hay, for the listeners who aren't familiar with her, is for me a hero or a shero. Um, she is a woman that has devoted herself to helping people with her personal and spiritual development as she has worked through much of it herself and um, worked to heal a lot of the traumas she had in her early life, worked to heal physical disabilities. And she's always been an inspiration to me. So Balboa Press is an affiliate of Hay House and they, they help with self-publishing. And working with them was, has been wonderful. It, it, I couldn't have done it otherwise since I've never done this before. I learned a lot. So if I ever want to do self-publishing in another way, I might be able to pull it off. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can also get it through Balboa Press. So Balboa mm -hmm. Press in the bookstore, Amazon, or Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. And the title? Is Grow Your Best Life. <laughs> and it says, it's an inside job. Yes, thanks What's for pointing that about? out. I have to remember that, Marcia. <laughs> I know, because that... That line is probably more important than Grow Your Best Life. And I'm so busy right now just saying the name of the book. I forget about that super important subtitle. So it's an inside job. Um, so for me, once I got into the work of personal and spiritual development, I still was thinking everyone else should change, you know, because I want to be happy and I want to feel good. And, and I just need to educate these people about how to do that, how to be like me and read all these personal <laughs> spiritual development books <laughs> and change and be happy like me so that when I'm around them, they can make me happy. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then fortunately, I came upon the concept that everyone in my world is only a mirror for me. Okay. Everyone in my world is only a facet of me. I cannot see something in another that I don't have somewhere in myself. How can you recognize something you don't know about? Mm -hmm. So that was very informative when I came upon that concept. And what that told me is if I want my life to be my best life, then it's an inside job. The only way I can work through that 
is to look at those pieces of myself that I don't like, that don't serve me, that drive me nuts. And what do I do with them? How do I love myself enough to embrace them as they are? And I have found with pieces of myself that I'm not thrilled about, if, if I can embrace them and be with them, many times they will just dissipate. They will just crumble and go. And if not, then that's part of who I am and I can embrace that. And so I can then have compassion to embrace it in another. Uh -huh. um, and so much, of, so much of our culture right now to me feels like, particularly in the political climate, and I promise I won't go too deep here, particularly in the political climate, we want to point our finger and blame everybody else for all the bad things that are happening. And I don't think we're going to make a, sh I, 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 let's see, I believe as a species, we can make a shift. I think we can shift the mess we're in. And I also believe the only way we can do that is for everyone to get a grip around. It's an inside job. You know, if, if you're not pleased with what's happening, look internally and in doing that internal look, figure out what it is you want rather than pushing against what everyone else is doing and being mad and hateful and self-righteous, look inside, figure out what it is you want and go with that. Talk about what you want and, and what you want to have unfold. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just think that's the only way we're going to get anywhere as a species. And I believe that we can, I believe we're at a really important crux right now. And I believe transformation is is really, really possible. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good work. Yeah. yeah. And, and that to me gets back to one of the, one of the ways that you wrote this book that I, I find really meaningful and helpful is that idea that we need to practice, you know, that you have exercises for every chapter. And as you say, people need to, to look at what do they really want and then, of course, the next step is working towards making that happen. It's not just sitting passively and wishing for what we want. It's, it's really taking some steps. Yes. And, and in, in my work historically with trying to help people, I, I say something that some people find really odd. I say, I really don't like awareness campaigns. I really don't like awareness campaigns because typically what they do is they say, there's this big problem. Bye. You know, as opposed to there is this thing that's affecting people and here's what you can do to make a difference. I think people are eager and open to tools, but we have to sometimes guide that. And so you're providing exercises so people practice. When I go to a workshop, whether it's you know something that I'm doing that's very a personal interest or whether it's professional, do not sit me in a room for four hours and expect me to absorb it through my ears. That is not going to change my behavior. Give me opportunities to grapple with the material you're talking about. Let's do some little group exercises or whether it's writing while we're in the workshop or something, but let me work with that because that's what's going to change. And that's that's the kind of presenter that I like to be, just as you are in your book, to give people the opportunity to try it. Because I think about, in, in a lot of ways with our lives, I think about 
we get into well-worn paths. And, and when I say those words for me, I have this image of what that path looks like. But it's a really well-worn path. And often we have a lot of those paths that get us someplace we don't really want to be if we were choosing our destination. And so the, the, the task that we have is how to learn to make those detours where we need to, you know? I remember one of the things. I that love I that. Do, I just to interrupt you for a minute to say yeah. I love that analogy because yeah. that's so visual. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Thanks. And and to to make that a step further, I'm going to share from one of the the work privileges that I have is working with people who, like myself, are bereaved by suicide. And I remember a dad, um, dad of a young military soldier who had died of suicide. I remember Tim, the dad, talking one day about this dream that he had had. And this dream was he and his wife were, were on this trip. They're in their car. They're driving. And they get to this turnoff that, that they're supposed to take. And it's really difficult. It's really difficult to navigate. It doesn't make any sense to him. It's like, why is this where we have to be? And then they get inside of their destination. Huh. And he realizes that they had to take that path mm. to get there, not the easy one. They had right, to take right. this other one. And it's like, oh, that is so beautiful. What a, what a reassuring and wonderful and welcome message to share with people, in this case, who are other people who are grieving. Yes. Yeah, it's a rocky Whoa. road. It has places that oh, are beautiful, places that are so hard, you know, and, and yet it gets us where we need. We can't just avoid it, you know? So that whole idea of looking at the paths that we take and, and when we need to change them and where new paths as opposed to that one that gets us where we don't want to be. <laughs> yes, yeah. and, and for me that speaks to self-reflection. You know, to me that father was really able to self-reflect. Mm -hmm. And it, it reminds me of my days in identifying seeds of leaders and managers. Someone who can self-reflect is critical mm -hmm. because as you deal with the situations of your day, you've got to be able to, at the end of the day, look at things and did I handle that the way I would prefer or do I want something different? Mm -hmm. You know, So without self-reflection, it's hard to make progress. Mm -hmm. And I think some people just don't have that skill or they, they don't know that it would be a really good skill to have mm -hmm. to take a moment and just self-reflect. Because mm -hmm. that father understood by going through all that turmoil he came to this place that was a good place for him, as much as it can be a good place right. when you've lost a child. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just love that. Yeah. And I love what you said about awareness campaigns, Marsha, because for me, that is just admiring the problem. When I, one of the agencies I worked at years ago, we had a lot of meetings, you know, upper level management. I was in meetings all the time, and a lot of them I felt were a huge waste of time. And one of my colleagues shared one day, she said, well, Jen, a lot of these meetings, we just sit around and admire the problem. And I thought, that's why they're frustrating the heck out of me. Because we talk about the problem, we talk about the problem, but we don't allow then a solution to arise from that discussion because we're so busy beating up on the problem. And, the, and in my book, I talk about vibration because the universe is all energy. We are electromagnetic beings we're emitting vibrations. You and I are emitting vibrations towards each other right now. It's coming out all over. And the vibration of the problem is very different than the vibration of the solution. And if we just continue to immerse ourselves in that vibration of the problem, we're not going to get anywhere. But if we can step back, look at it a little more, 
go back to what it is we want, what are our desires, yes. how do we want to see yes. things change and be yes. different either internally or in the world, then we can shift to that different vibration of a solution arising. Right. Any problem, there is a solution available. Uh -huh. We just have to shift so we can get to yeah. it. And, and for me, you, you touched on something that is really meaningful and important to me, which is we need to look at our goals. Like when you were talking about the, the political general sphere and that we need to identify what we want and we agree that then how we work on that. It's not about we lack this. It's about this is what we're trying to accomplish. Yes. And then what are the ways of getting there? Yeah, in a very personal way, without naming names, I'm going to say last night was a meeting for a, another one of one of the things that I'm involved with. That again is a really pri privilege is working with people who have attempted suicide and are working together in support of each other. Mm -hmm. How how you how you make the changes you need to, you know, and and as we were doing, as we say, we kind of check in because it's been the, you know a couple of weeks since we had a meeting. We're on every other week schedule, somebody said, you know, I don't like this, I don't like this, the only thing I like to do right now is drink. And we did the check-in and we do that, we listen to each other and support each other. And, and I also said to that person, you know how I believe that the way we speak about things is really important, so I want to clarify with you. Are you really saying that what you really want to do is drink? Or are you really saying that there's something about the way you feel that is better after you've been drinking than when you're not drinking? And and she knew that, yeah, that it's she wants to feel better. We all want to feel better. What about saying it that way? That what I want is to feel better, not oh, that what I, I want love is to drink. That. You know? And that doesn't drop off the, the challenge of changing drinking behavior, but it's like that's that's your truth, is you want to feel better. And, and I understand you're saying that may not change the drinking behavior, but it may, because as she goes through her day, then she can think, I want to feel better. And that's my book's about that. How do we feel better? Yeah. So I want to feel better. And may, she may notice when she engages with this friend over a cup of coffee, she leaves and she feels a little bit better. Uh -huh. Or when she walks, parks way out in the parking lot at the store and walks into the store, even in the seat and walks back, mm -hmm. she actually feels a little bit better after mm -hmm. she's had some movement. Mm -hmm. So I love that idea, Marsha, is to, to get to what the true desire is. Yeah. And alcohol helps her with that right now. Yeah. But there may be many other things in her day that are also helping her with that that she hasn't thought about because she hasn't thought about it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's really helpful. Thanks. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, and I was thinking, I, I let's see. So um, Deepak Chopra and Oprah Winfrey do a, a free 21-day med meditation series from time to time. And I'm in the middle of one right now. It's a, I think it's called, I think it's called Desire and Destiny. But the meditation for yesterday, Oprah talks for a little bit. Deepak Chopra talks for a little bit. He introduces the Sanskrit mantra. And then, you know, helps you get into a meditative state and music plays and you do your mantra. So I do, I, I meditate daily, but I switch it up. Sometimes I do a guided meditation. Sometimes I do a silent meditation. Sometimes I sit up. Sometimes I lay down. I, you know, just get quiet. But yesterday he was talking about, he actually had us put our hand on our heart and, and ask, what do you want? Just out of the blue, what do you want? And listen for that desire. 
And he said, you know, maybe a house at the beach comes to mind. But are what is what you're really looking for? Peace. Maybe a motorcycle comes to mind. But maybe freedom is what, the, you know, he was really encouraging us to get to what you encouraged that young woman to get to, Marsha, which was what's behind the physical thing? What does that physical thing give you? Mm -hmm. What are you really wanting? Mm -hmm. And I loved that meditation yesterday. It was so profound. And it's so cool that you just talked about the very <laughs> same thing this morning. I know. Yeah, that's, hel that's helpful for me to get it lodged in there somewhere. <laughs> you really want yeah. Yeah. and and i will confess that part of what had that concept of what do you really want part of what had what had that on my mind is that okay so we're in my home you realize that i'm we live between the university and downtown we live in this older neighborhood of kansas of lawrence where which has unique problems because it's between downtown and the university mm -hmm. and the downtown has recently released this, excuse me, the city government has recently released this management report on parking related to downtown and surrounding neighborhoods. And they apparently have 30 suggestions. And we have a meeting of some of the neighborhood um, neighbors, residents before this came up in the last city commission meeting. We were talking about some of the things that were in the recommendations. And I said, you know, the thing is, is that if they would start from what are the goals, what are the challenges, you know, what 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 is it that we're really trying to accomplish and then come up with solutions. That's a whole different thing than focusing on there's this problem, we're going to do this. Because, for example, in downtown Lawrence, we want to have parking for people who work in the downtown area. They need to be able to park those who need to rely on Transportation on, on private transportation to get to work, they need to have places to park. And we need to have places for people who now live in the downtown area. Yes. They need to have places to park if they have vehicles. You know, we can't pretend that everybody who lives downtown isn't going to have a vehicle. That's not the reality. Some don't, but a lot are, are going to. And we need to have places for people who want to come and patronize the different kinds of businesses downtown. You know, whether it's professional business like the architecture firm or whether it's restaurants, music venues, you know, stores where you buy this, that, you know, so we have kind of three sets of people, workers, customers, as I'll call them, and residents who need parking. Let's talk about it that way. And what's the way to make that work? And yeah, there's some attitude shifts. People need to realize that. Think about it. When you go to that suburban mall, you do not park outside the door of everything that you're going to. You park in a parking lot, you walk. We need to, to acknowledge that that's going to be part of the deal. You know, people aren't going to all be clustered in front of the door that they want to get into. <laughs> but 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 again, instead of it being this antagonistic thing, we're going to ticket these people. We're going to, you know, it's like, let's make it work for all three sets of people. Uh, it's, it's just one of my frames of reference. So will you have a representative from your neighborhood group that gets to interact with the commission? Is there, there, are, always, there are always ongoing discussions okay. and study sessions and sure. you can get feedback and, you know, and things happen. Because you're right in the middle of it. I live out west, yeah. so I, I come downtown and I like to walk. And I like to see what treasures await me. You uh -huh. never know. There might be some lovely person you passed that yes, you wouldn't have passed if you exactly, parked right outside exactly. the store. So yes. think of it as a treasure hunt. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I think, too, Lawrence is growing really quickly. And years gone by, I think it was very easy to drive downtown park pretty close to where you were uh -huh. going. And that's changed. Right. And so I think that's hard for people that have lived here for a long, long time. I've been here about eight years, so I'm a little more 
yeah. flexible. I mean, I'm part of the problem. I'm one of those people that wants to live here. So that's the problem. It's a good thing. It was a good thing, but I say the problem that in those people that don't like to see all this change. Yeah. There's a lot of us that you know. I told my husband if we're staying in the Midwest, I got to be in Lawrence. So here I am. And change. <laughs> there is no living without change. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> but change doesn't mean you have to tear down the historic buildings, folks. Come on. That's no, a whole no, other no. topic. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, ooh, that's a month-long seminar. That's right. No, because Lawrence is such a pretty town. Mm-hmm. Lots of wonderful things. Yeah, it's a good place. Yeah. So we start from the premise of you have this delightful book, Grow Your Best Life. It's an inside job. You are Jennifer Johnson. People can find this book, as you said. They can get it on those big sources for books online or by going to Balboa Press, which is where you publish this book. I'm always an advocate for buy it as close to the source as possible. Yes, or if you live in Lawrence and want to purchase it, I have some. I just did a book launch book signing party in my home on Sunday. Oh, it was so much fun. So I've told so many people, if you want to know if anyone loves you and how much they love you, Write and publish a book. <laughs> I had 50 friends and family in my home. Lovely. People were buying books, letting me sign them. I got to talk to everyone. I, I was just, I was verklempt. I was overwhelmed <laughs> with the, the love and support that has poured out towards uh-huh. me. So if you live in Lawrence and want a book, I'd be glad to meet you for a cup of coffee. <laughs> Sell your book and autograph it if you want. So um, in, in order to do that, you can find me on my Facebook page, Jennifer Johnson Author. Okay. Or you can email me at um, Jen Best Life. So that's J-E-N-B-E-S-T. L-I-F-E at gmail.com. And if you do want to meet me for a cup of coffee and purchase my book and have me sign it, please, in the email, let me know that you heard me on Marsha's show. So <laughs> I have a reference point. Who are you? And why are you this, asking me to coffee? Exactly. And why, why they're really creepy coffee place. No, I'm just kidding. Just, <laughs> so I'm just... You know, keep my boundaries. <laughs> That's funny. Do you do writing in coffee places? I have so many friends who have camped out in various coffee I shops. I know. And I've, I've read that a lot of times the kind of low hum in a coffee shop with the machinery and the people uh-huh. talking is excellent for the brain for creative expression. I like my study at home. Uh-huh. I have a beautiful setup. I have a old table that I work on as my desk. That was my grand father's family oh, so it's one of those things where you pull the pegs out and the top swivels up into a bench oh, wow. and then you put it down and you stick the peg back in and it's a table because he grew up on a small farm in Delaware and they didn't have room for ta- you know when they weren't eating it was a bench and when they were ready to eat they put it into a table and I have a gorgeous chair in there that was my great aunt May's on my mother's side um she was a, a single woman her whole life worked for AT&T lived in Manhattan so she was Manhattan, kind of, New, Manhattan York. New York. Yeah. Cool. My mother's family's from Long Island and uh-huh. my dad's from Pennsylvania. My roots are East coast. Um, so my great aunt May was a delight and it, she was fun to visit when I was a little girl. Cause she was a single woman who had a beautiful apartment and loved to play Scrabble and was engaging. And when she passed, I got this gorgeous chair. Wow. So, so my study is my space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just stay there. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I write with paper and pen uh-huh. and my illustrator friend, Janice Cotter, 
taught me to buy pens of many colors. So I have lots and lots of different colors of pens. Um, and so, and so a lot of my writing I do with pen and paper uh -huh. and then onto the computer. Uh -huh. Once I got going on my book, I stayed on the computer, but uh -huh. I did pen and paper for quite a while mm -hmm. to, to get started. I always think that's interesting what people write with, you know, how I do write. too. Yeah. And I'm a kinesthetic learner. I learn by doing, as you mm -hmm. were saying, you know, workshops, you love the small group work. Yeah. I do too. A lot of people don't like it, but I'm all about it. Cause I'm a, kin I, a kinesthetic learner, meaning I need to do the thing I need to take. I need to engage in activity to yeah. learn. I can listen, I can look. Um, but unless I do something, it's a waste of time. Although you say that as though you're unique, I am oh no, I no, I know oh, I'm okay. not unique. Yes, because I don't think anybody learns without practice. <laughs> well, I, I would agree with that. I know when I'm just trying to take in some facts. My husband's a really good auditory learner. Uh -huh. He can hear something uh -huh. and remember it. Uh -huh. Not me. You know, I've got to hear it, write it down, write it down three times, but go through the act of right. writing it. That's how I got through college. I rewrote my notes. So no, I don't think I am unique. I think many people don't realize though that they are kinesthetic learners. Uh -huh. They think they're just not good learners, uh -huh. but they just don't know what their style is. Uh -huh. But that's why the exercise is in the book because we each teach to our own style of uh -huh. learning. And so I'm just teaching to my own style. Practice, practice, practice. But what do we do in life that we haven't had to practice? You know, I, I, Think about a friend of mine, Topher Anaking, and Topher is amongst many things, including a spoken word poet, and he creates these beautiful journals when you were talking about mm. the paper, and he has these beautiful journals mm. that, that current Kansas Poet Laureate Kevin Revis has endorsed that he oh, uses awesome. that too, but anyway, but what I wanted to say is there was a time when, when Topher was working as a paraprofessional in a middle school in Kansas, and he's a big guy. He, he was a football player. He's tall and he's, he's strong. He's a big person. And so he was given kids who have some challenging behaviors sure, yeah. because his physical presence is helpful and calming for some that kind of stuff. And he talked about how, you know, when kids would complain about stuff, they didn't want to learn. They didn't want to, you know, this stuff. He said, well, think about this. If your parents, whoever raised you, hadn't taught you to pee and poop in the toilet, what would your life be like? <laughs> That's a great, great distraction, Topher. Because <laughs> we're working with children or older adults is just distracting them from whatever they think they want to do. That's a good distractor. The point being that you do need to learn things yes, and you yes, need to practice to get that. them right. I love that. It's true because as you said, I thought, well, yeah, if you become, if you work as an architect, you've practiced as a speech pathologist. I had to practice a yeah. lot. You know, I did internships and people observed me, gave me feedback and videotaped me, and I watched myself. And you know, I, yeah, I did a lot of practice yeah. to do what I did. Yeah. That's a good yeah. point. And we get to success by failures. You know, we oh, try yes. things that we aren't so good at. You know, and we get better at them. We, those of us who drive cars, I'm sure, weren't excellent drivers from the moment we got into a car, particularly those of us who had to drive cars with standard transmissions. I'm yes. just going to say that's <laughs> not something that necessarily is intuitive to somebody who's never driven before. Okay? No, that's so, true. Yeah, so my, practice is good. My father, who was a jet pilot, taught me to drive his Volkswagen so I could learn a standard. And uh -huh. I just remember he kept saying, you don't need to white knuckle it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that was good, a good advice. Yeah. You don't need to grip yeah. that 
things so hard. Just relax and let it go. Yeah. Yeah. So we are at the end of our hour. Okay, great. And so I want to remind listeners, this has been Talk With Me with my guest today, Jennifer Johnson, who has this delightful, helpful, wonderful book called Grow Your Best Life. It's an inside job. You don't think you need it? Here's what I suggest. Get a copy of it. You can get it because you're going to give it as a gift to somebody, but read it first. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you mentioned giving as a gift. When I wrote it, I hoped people would give it as a gift. So uh -huh. That's why I want, one of the reasons I wanted uh -huh. it to be so beautiful. And I've had tons of feedback from particularly a lot of the women that have read it. I bought three copies for each of my uh -huh. sisters. My best friend could really use this. Uh -huh. I'm sending it to, so yeah. I've been just so happy about yes. that part. Yeah, so it's yeah. delightful. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Marsha. Thanks, listeners, and so long.